look at uh, these three angels. Let me see if I can get this thing on here. Three flying preaching angels in Revelation chapter 14. And Jimmy, can you just come make sure this thing comes on for me, please? And again, uh, before we read this in Revelation, again, I, I, I always want to, uh, sometimes we can get lost in the, the trees, so to speak. But again, the book of Revelation, it's not without pattern. It has an interesting small pattern and large pattern to it. It's a revelation, it's a, it's a, it's a um, prophetic uh, opening up of truth to John, for John, for those first century churches, and for all churches in the church age, the book of Revelation is for. And it will be for people who won't be in the church age after the rapture. But in Revelation 1, you see John get a vision of Jesus, and God told him, the Lord Jesus says, write that, what you've seen. And then in Revelation 2 and 3, John hears basically little miniature letters to churches, and John is told to write those things that are about those churches. And then after Revelation 3, Revelation 4, chapter 4 onward, John is told that those things are things which shall be hereafter future things, and even more particular, their future in the sense of after the church age is gone, is done with, there will be these things that shall be. And if you can remember chapter 6 and 7, some of these chapters they had full judgment, or pardon me, seal judgments, uh, and then uh, the trumpet judgments, and they're just kind of paced out upon the earth. And I believe a lot of those are happening in three and a half years. And concurrent to those three and a half years, you have a world leader during this time who is not, uh, he's pretty attractive and people are following him and he's made an agreement with Israel. But about three and a half years into this, while there's concurrently judgments going on the earth, there's also something else going on by, by the name of Babylon, the great harlot, which we'll talk about another time. After three and a half years, he breaks a covenant with Israel. And during that time, it appears that he is assassinated, or it appears to be an assassination, and he recovers. And it seems to be a resurrection, and all the world goes, wow, look at this guy. Who can, who can stand against this guy? I mean, you got all these judgments on the earth, and he's surviving. He gets hit or hurt or whatever, and now he comes. Who can... And now he's, he's un, it's like he's magnified even more this beast, this Antichrist, who we meet in chapter 13. And all the world goes after him. And all the world starts taking a mark of the beast, chapter 13. We learned about that. Which is the name of him, or the, it says the mark, which is like a strike, could be like a logo, or the name, or the number of his name, kind of in a threefold type of way. On the forehead or on the hand, I believe it'll be visible. And if you don't take it, you don't prosper. So we meet kind of as we, we learn the church, we, churches, things about churches that they need to know, including ours. Then we learn about judgments. Then we learn about the beast and the Antichrist, the devil who's called the dragon. We learn about how 
He persecutes Israel, who's pictured as a woman clothed with the sun. And now we move into chapter 14. And last week we looked at chapter 14 about where the 144,000 are again. And some people take it to mean, and it's possible that they actually go all the way and they survive through the tribulation. And this vision of them on Mount Zion is the earthly one. I, I tend to think it's a vision of them in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ and shows their sterling character, their impeccable character. In verses 2, 3, and 4, these men are virgin men without fault in their, in their speech. They follow the Lord Jesus Christ wherever they go, and they're given, they're given a song that they can sing to Him that nobody else gets to sing or can sing. It's amazing. Just a lot of cool stuff in here. A lot of cool stuff. Now we're going to look at this is an interesting chapter. A lot of flying angels and stuff around here in chapter 14. This angel and that angel, and he says this, and he's flying, and he's, there's a lot of angels in chapter 6, or chapter 14. We're just going to look at these three, verse 4 through 12, is, or, pardon me, verses 4 through 13 actually is what we're going to look at. We're going to see three angels, and they, they fly through heaven and they preach. And what they're saying is, this is again, I believe, the middle of the tribulation, and they're preaching something that's, I think they call it proleptic. It's saying, this is coming up right now. Or here's what you need to do. And we're going to look at their three messages tonight. All right, so let's read this. Revelation 14, verses 4 through 13. And, uh, pardon me, not 4, verse 6. Verse 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. That means in the middle of heaven having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of, the, of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel. Here's the second one flying around, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, this, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Here's the third angel, the last one. And the third angel, longer message. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented day Pardon me, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Have you ever seen something in the sky? Maybe you've seen a really cool plane flying in the sky before? You know, about a couple months ago, um, I think it was a couple, I was, I was actually driving out here and I'm like, that looks weird. The, the, we have the Williams uh, Gateway Airport over here. I was looking, I'm like, that plane looks really, really weird. And I couldn't keep staring at it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today. I'd be dead because I was driving. 
But I looked and then it banked and it started to go toward kind of making its approach to land at Williams Gateway. And then I read like a day or two later, we had one of the largest planes that they make land here. I don't know if it was NASA or something. It's like one of these, looks like a whale. It's like it's going to eat another plane and say, let me take you somewhere. I don't know what it was. It was a huge plane. But that was pretty cool to see that. I told you before a few years ago we vacationed in California and we were in a cabin. I think it was Ponderosa. We were in the south edge of the Sequoia National Park. And it was out at night. I went out on this balcony and I'm sitting there. And it was beautiful sky. You see a lot of stars. You know, we're away from the city lights. And I look over. I don't know what way. If it was south, I was kind of disorientated. But I looked over to my left of the balcony and I see this really cool something. Glowing fire. It's like, shh, and I'm like, what is that? Is somebody trying to kill us with a missile? No. What is that? Is an angel? I mean, I didn't know what this was. It was just so many really cool, vivid colors of something going across the sky, and it was kind of breaking it up, and I, I thought, I just thought, something did something blow up? I don't know, but it looked really, really neat. And I think maybe that later that night or the next day, I found it, it was like, a Chinese satellite, you know, burning up in the sky. So, you know, that the Chinese junk looks cool when it's burning, you know. I don't know. But it, but it looked really neat coming across the sky, you know. And, uh, you know, sometimes you see an airplane come across the sky. Or we talked about this morning, you see a, uh, one of these planes that flies and has a message behind it, you know. Uh, go to Chick-fil-A or somebody says, will you marry me? Uh, Karen, will you marry me? Or whatever, you know, there's messages across the sky. Well, here is a, here's three things flying across the sky, three angels. And they're going to come across the sky, and they're going to broadcast to the whole world. This is like Angel Broadcast Network, okay? They are broadcasting. They'll be heard. They will be heard. They won't need man, our stuff. They don't need our amplification. They're going to fly, and everybody's going to hear them. One, two, three is what they do. One, two, three. Um, so here's a kind of a sample of them. I don't know what it's going to look like, but they will get people's attention. You know, angels, you know what the word angel means? What is it? Messenger. Means messenger. There's no hidden other weird meaning. That's what it means. It means a messenger. That's exactly what they've been doing. God says, hey, you know what? I see Hagar in the wilderness. She's really sad. She just got bossed around by her other wife competitor uh, who's married to Abram, and she's really sad. Why don't you go, go down there and give her some good news? God sent an angel to talk to Hagar in the wilderness couple, at least once. Abram, he needed an angel a few times. God sent an angel to talk to Abram. Um, Balaam, remember him? He had an angel. That, I mean, the donkey saw the angel before Balaam did. The donkey was like crushing his leg. I don't want to go that way. And the Balaam's like, why do you keep doing that? And, the, and, the, and Balaam's like, I, I, the donkey said, I can't remember what the donkey said, which was amazing, but what's more amazing is he talked back to him. You know, he talked back to the donkey. And, and uh, anyways, there was an angel there, it was, it was, and he had a message for Balaam. Um, Gideon, remember Gideon met an angel, and God spoke to him. I think Samson's parents had an angel speak to them. Daniel, remember Daniel? What angel spoke to Daniel? He has a name. There's only three names. We know three personal names of the angels. One of them's a bad one. 
Gabriel spoke to Daniel. Gabriel also spoke to a couple people in the New Testament, right? Mary, uh, Zachariah, Zacharias. So, yeah. Gabriel, I think, may have appeared to, one of them appeared to Joseph. They're, they're messengers, all right? They're God's messengers. Now, God could have kind of continued that throughout all time, and we could be living here doing our thing, and all the messages we know and hear, all of them, 100%, could be coming from angels. It could be that way. Where you wouldn't have a pastor, you'd have an angel. Where you wouldn't have the prophet, you'd have an angel. And it could be all angel run. But he, chose, he didn't choose to do that. You know, God could do that. He could make all his messages go through angels if he wants to. He could make them go through trees and rocks if he wants to. Did you know that? I think there was some kind of millennial prophecy that says trees are going to cry out somewhere. I have to dig into that one. But God can make trees talk if he wants to. I mean, if he can make a donkey talk, he can make a, a tree talk. Jesus said that if they didn't praise him on the day of his entry into Jerusalem, if they didn't say something, the rocks would have cried out and said something. They would have all of a sudden got vocal cords and said something. God can make other things talk. You know that? He can use them as messages. And from as messengers, he certainly has his own messengers. And he can make the rocks and trees and everything else and make a donkey talk and everything else. And, and um, so, but our primary messengers are us. Angelos. Angelos is the Greek word for angel. We're his angelos right now in flesh. But here, it gets to the point where during the tribulation, seven years tribulation, we're about the midway point, you had 144,000 that have been preaching. Unique preachers. And then these two witnesses in Jerusalem are preaching. Very unique. And in addition to that, God is sending, this is an act of grace that God would send supernatural uh, form of messaging to the world. And he sends these angels. So let's look at their message. It'll be these, these three messages. When, um... Okay, Jimmy, come help me here. The messages will be this. The first, the first angel will be worship the God of creation. Worship the God. It says he's preaching the everlasting gospel. The second message will be, go ahead and check it, make sure it's synced. The second angel will preach regarding Babylon. Some of us are like, Babylon, whatever, Nebuchadnezzar, what's going on here? Babylon is, there's a new mystery Babylon. It's Babylon the Great. Babylon is fallen, it's going to lose. And then the third message will be, is it even working? Okay, cool, thanks. Then the worship the God of creation, that's his first message when the angel, flying angels preach. Babylon the great is going to lose. People need to hear that. They will need to hear that. We need to hear that right now. There's a lot. We're going to talk about Babylon more. I'm not ready to get into it now. I, this is very interesting, and it's in formation right now. Babylon, a type of Babylon, has been in existence since Babel, a type. Okay, there's always been a type of Babylon in the world. All right, and then the third message will be the beast worship and his mark will lead a person to hell. People needed to hear that. So let's consider verse 6 and 7, this first, this first uh, angelic preaching message. All right, let's hear the angel preach. He's got a short message. Look what it says, verse 6. He's flying, verse 6, in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and every tongue, people, 
Uh, tongue, nation, kindred. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, see? Every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people saying, here's the, nature, here's the substance of his message, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So let's consider, let's go in and zero in on what's happening here. First, let's consider His audience. He's, he's, saying to, he's saying to all of the world, worship the God of creation, not this creation. But who's His audience? Let's notice His audience. Verse 6 tells us he's, he, he is preaching uh, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. The audience of this angel is indiscriminate everybody. That is like God, isn't it? To give good news to everybody. He broadcasts to everybody. Not that everybody will respond or be saved, but he is righteous in making it known to all. And he's doing that through this angel. And by the way, I don't think this is a different gospel. I think there's always been one saving gospel. It's basically cast your pathetic self on God, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved forever. And so he's, they're preaching that basically that message. His audience is all people. Why should it be all people? Why should the gospel be preached to all sorts of people? Because we all have the same problem. All have sinned. All There's none righteous, none. So then we're all unrighteous and we've all sinned. So we all need the same good news. That's why the gospel is being preached to everybody. It's also why else would God preach the gospel to everybody? Is because God loves all. God so loved the world. There's certain theologies that get so crazy on some of their doctrines that they even come to the conclusion that God really doesn't love the whole world. But I believe the simplicity of the scripture when it says God loves the world the whole world, not that he forces the world to believe him and trust him, but God loves the whole world. Hence, God has given good news to the whole world through this angel. All right? He loves a wicked world. Look at chapter, uh, look at chapter 16. After God sends these judgments that are intended to wake them up, in chapter 16, look at verse 9. Look what kind of world is hearing this gospel. Chapter 16, verse 9. It says, and men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which had power over these plagues. And they repented not to give Him glory. We're pretty stubborn. Look at verse 11. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Look at verse, oh, where's the next? Verse 21. Verse 21 of chapter 16. And the Bible says, and there fell... Upon men a great hail out of heaven. We're going to get into this, uh, another message. And every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. So what's happening is God is sending righteous judgments on the earth, but He's also sending a gospel to say, here's how you can be saved. And so they have, an, they have a way to be saved, but they're receiving these judgments. And you know what they're doing? They're saying, we hate you, God, for doing this. We hate you. And they're saying no to Him but he's still preaching the gospel to them. That's how God is. He, he is long-suffering to usward. You know, the patience of our Lord is salvation. He's long-suffering. There's some scriptures, 2 Peter, 1 Timothy, 4, chapter 2, and verse, chapter 2 talks about, you know, he would have all men to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some men count slackness, 
but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is willing for all to repent. And He's waiting, and He's waiting, and He's waiting, and He's waiting. And so this gospel is being preached. The whole thing is, you got this angel preaching the gospel, telling people how to be saved and right with God, and they're doing it to all the world because that's how God is. That's how He is. And, and so notice that's the audience, but notice the content, the content of this gospel. Again, the angel's preaching the gospel. Imagine, maybe he goes around a couple times. I don't know. But he's going through, he's going over every, every region, every nation, everywhere. Perhaps Antarctica where some weird, crazy scientists are down there still studying stuff. I don't know. But he's going everywhere. Nome, Alaska, preaching the gospel over the, in the air, according to what the Scripture is telling us. What's the content of it? What's the substance of it? it is, I'll tell you what it's not. He's not preaching, again, he says he's preaching the everlasting gospel. He's not preaching a gospel of believe and prosper. Believe and be healed. That is, you know, not going to get sick anymore. He's not preaching a health gospel, a wealth gospel. Do you know why? Because that's not even the gospel in the first place. But one of the reasons is because, you know what, some of those people are doing fine financially. Did you know people on the earth right now, they're, might, they're trying to avoid judgments. But some of these people, we look back in chapter 17 and 18, or chapter 18, there's some very wealthy people on the earth at this time, even through the tribulation. So if somebody comes along and says, hey, believe God, believe Jesus Christ, and your business is going to do better. First of all, that's a lie. That's a lie. It's a false gospel. Secondly, that makes no appeal to some people who are doing perfectly fine with the mark of the beast. It's going extra fine. And I'm tapping into Babylon's economic perks and I'm doing great. Believe Jesus, how's that going to help me? So people who kind of do that type of gospel nowadays that say, hey man, I know you're having a rough time, but if you accept the Lord, business is going to turn around. That, nobody can make that promise. If somebody accepts Jesus as their Savior and business turns around, that's of Jesus' prerogative that that be, that that happened. It's not because it's part of the scriptural gospel. There's no promise that if a person becomes a Christian, business will get better. It may, it may not. There's no promise of that. The promise is you'll be forgiven and right with God and have eternal riches. That's the promise as far as the gospel goes. So this, God, so this angel's preaching this gospel, and it's not the, it's not a, uh, the substance is not believe and prosper. The substance is not be religious and be baptized. Because there's probably going to be some religious people that, in that day who are believing in a God. What is the substance of this gospel? Here, look at the very words here. The substance of the gospel is an everlasting issue. Look at verse 6. The angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them. It's a gospel that pertains to something that which is everlasting. Everlasting. Everybody is going to live somewhere forever. Forever in hell or forever in heaven with God and His kingdom. It's a gospel that deals with that which is everlasting. Matthew 25, verse 46, Jesus spoke about the everlasting consequences of accepting or rejecting Him. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal, Jesus says. The content of this gospel is an everlasting issue. It's a fear of God issue. Follow this. Look at the very words of God. What does the angel say in verse 7? What are his actual quotes? What is his actual words? Fear God and give glory to Him. This is a fear of God issue. 
Did you know at some level when you accepted Jesus as your Savior, there was a certain level, there was a certain fear of God you had. I'm not right with God. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble and I need somebody to, to reckon me and to, to save me. And some people, it's to a greater degree. I remember one time we had a neighborhood Bible time. We had a really good Bible time evangelist. He did a great job preaching. In fact, I even have a picture of him in front of this one kid, I'm going to say. But he preached, they preached good messages, accurate messages. And I remember this one kid during this invitation, one of the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I don't know what it was. He was shaking. He was shaking because he was preaching the Bible, telling about the realities of heaven, the realities of hell, the realities of a holy God. And this kid was shaking, and when he had an invitation, I took him back in here in the room, and he dealt with actually the one evangelist. And uh, man, he was just like, ah, he was shaked up, man. And he learned, I need to fear God, not the world, not the opinions of my friends or of another false religion that would look down on me for becoming a Christian. Fear God. So the, listen to this. This is a day and age, when this angel's flying, it's a day and age where there's people on earth who dare fear something. They do fear somebody of might. They fear Antichrist. They fear the false prophet. They fear a lot of things, but they don't fear God. And people need to fear God in order to realize the, the reality of His gospel. Okay, I need Him to save me. I need Him to be, uh, um, I need to be right with Him. And so he says, fear God versus the beast. And then the, 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 the other substance of his message is glory to God. Look what he says, give glory to God. You know, that is, when, you, when we accept Christ as our Savior, when we bow the knee to Him, so to speak, that's giving glory to Him. Give glory to God. Make, make, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Give glory to God versus glory to who? Who would they be giving glory to in this day and age? There's going to be people giving glory to the beast. Who is like the beast? Who can make war with Him? And they're going to glorify Him, posters of Him, whatever. They got the mark. They got the, they, they're going to be giving glory to the beast. But he says, give glory to God. Some people give glory to nature, right? They give glory to nature. Isn't it wonderful what Mother Nature's done for us this year? Isn't it wonderful? Do you ever hear people speak of Mother Nature in such a sacred terms? You know, I, I've seen the bumper sticker, honor your mother with the green mother. How many of you seen honor your mother bumper sticker but pertaining to Mother Earth? Now, we're not talking about the real mom that you have. There's people like that. Honor your mother. I do, but not that one. <coughs> people will be giving glory to Mother Earth and to nature, and the angels saying, give glory to what? Him that made it. Look what it says. Look what it says there in verse um, 7. Give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgments has come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea, and the fountains of waters. You know, there's something, um, it's kind of like, you know, who did the Tesla, who invented the Tesla or owns it? What's the name of that guy? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Okay, anybody have a Tesla in here? It's like, Pastor, we're not at that level. Who do you think we are, you know? And some people have Teslas. They're pretty, it's like, that's a cool car, you know? Look at that Tesla. What's that? A toy car, you know, it looks pretty cool though. I mean, come on. You know, I'm just trying to make it because I know there's a person uh, uh, that's associated with it. So if somebody were to say, yeah, I like these cars, I like these cars, but then the, you, you, you disrespect or you say bad things about the, manu the, the owner or the manufacturer, of the seat, that would be kind of weird, wouldn't it be? 
You know, um, people that people, you know, when they, back in the day, Henry Ford, he was the start of the Ford. And people liked the Ford, and maybe some people didn't like Henry Ford. But it's, it's kind of like this. There's people right now, they love nature. They love the, the benefits of nature. We've talked about this last Wednesday about God has predictable cycles in nature right now. We can predict, you know, even though you're in different parts of the world, there's the seasons, there's laws of nature, gravity. There's all kinds of things that you can build uh, predictable things upon. And people like that. And they, but the, the angel says, give glory to the God who made it. Glorify the God, the maker of it. Because the world is not doing it. They're glorifying nature. So that's the substance. By the way, listen to this. How many of you heard of C.S. Lewis? He used to be basically an atheist in England and became a Christian. He wrote some books that kind of defend and explain the Christian faith. And um, trying to find my glasses, but I'll try to read that. Oh, here they are. Let me read you this quote. Listen to what he thought before he was saved about giving glory to God. I'm reading actually from a commentator who quoted him. C.S. Lewis, before his conversion, had, a tr- had trouble with the insistent demand by religious people that we give glory to God, that we praise God. He had trouble with that thought. Why are they saying praise God? His ingrained dislike for the kind of person, this is what he thought about God, that God is the kind of person who demands continual assurance of his own virtue intelligence, or delightfulness. His dislike for that type of person did nothing to minimize this. He found the Psalms particularly troublesome with their frequent exhortations to praise the Lord. After his conversion, however, he came to see how mistaken he was in his attitude. When we say that we admire a picture, for example, we, may, we mean that admiration is the correct, adequate, and appropriate response to it. And the person who fails to admire a great work of art shows his own deficiencies. So what C.S. Lewis came to see, the appropriate thing for a believer to do is praise God. Giving glory to God is evidence of his own conversion, proof that he has entered into a new world, one to which he had been deaf and blind before. And again, the idea is a person who fails to admire a great work of art shows his own deficiencies. And it's just like the same thing. If we fail to realize the great work and glory of God and we don't praise Him, it shows our deficiencies. It's not like God's like, oh, I just, nobody likes me. It's not like we have to, you know, pump up God's ego. It's just that, do we see who we have as a God? Magnificent God, and He owes, we owe Him glory. This is, so this is part of the angel. He's preaching the gospel. Give glory to God. Fear God. This is, he's preaching the gospel, and many of them will not respond. Number two, the next message is about Babylon. We won't be very long on this one. The next one is about Babylon. Babylon the Great is going to lose. That's a paraphrase there. Babylon the Great is going to lose. Look at chapter 14, verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now there's going to, I'll just try to keep it brief, but there is going to, by this time, there's going to be a developed, I believe it'll be an actual city, and it'll, be a, and it'll have a religious component to it, 
and a very appealing economic component where everybody's just fascinated with this Babylon. Mystery Babylon. Babylon the Great. It's called the Great City. It's called a city several times. So it's an actual city. And, uh, and everybody's like, wow, and they're going to benefit so many financial benefits from it. And they're going to think, this is awesome. And it appears that the Antichrist will be like his capital. She depends on him. He, depends, he uses her. They destroy her eventually. But it's going to be a place where it's, um, fest, it, it, it's infested with uh, idolatry and immorality and demons and so on. And, but people are still going to be gravitating to it. It'll lure the world. It'll be very attractive, this Babylon the Great. And all the attraction is going to mesmerize the world, but the angel is going to fly through heaven and say, it's going down. This Babylon is going to be fallen. It's going down. Do you know we get, we get sometimes, now forget about the Babylon for a second to that extreme. Sometimes we get a little too fascinated with just things that are so temporal. We can get like that. You know, um, and so this is, the, this is the message of this angel. Babylon the Great will lose. Thirdly, let's do this next one, and is develops a little bit more. The beast worship and his mark will lead a person to hell. So the angels are flying. Here goes one. Here goes another. Here goes the third one. And his message is, hey, don't take the mark. Don't worship the beast. It's your, your sign, your fate to hell. So what he says, look at this in chapter uh, 14. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. We'll just stop right there. The concern here of this angel, the concern of his message is worship and re- of the beast and, re- and the reception of his mark. Most people will do that. Most people are going to be like, fine, I'll take the mark. Fine, I'll, go, I'll, I'll, I'll be in on the economics. Says, fine, I'll bow the knee to the Antichrist and to the beast. Yeah, he's good. He can lead us. And they're bad news, bad news. And the angel says, don't do it. If anybody does do it, that's the concern. If anyone does do it, notice the consequence. This is very thorough. This is not like a few just statements. This is, it's like chapter, look at verse 10, long verse. Verse 11, long verse. Two long verses about torment. Okay, if you take the mark of the beast, here's what happens. You get to drink wine. Drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Now, it's not saying you literally get to drink real wine. The idea of wine is pictured as a component, the contents of God's uh, wrath. And what it says here, you get to drink it in full strength. If you accept the mark of the beast, you're basically saying no to God against so much revelation about him. And you're saying yes to Satan's Christ. And be, as a consequence to saying yes to the beast, as a consequence for taking the mark of the beast, bowing the knee to the beast instead of the Lord of glory, you get a, you get to take and drink the God's wrath in its full strength. The wine, look what it says, the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured without mixture, undiluted in the cup of his indignation. Wow. So the consequences are you will drink the cup. Let me just say this again. Okay, make it plain. If people take the mark of the beast, that's over. They've sealed their fate. 
It's not like they go to another tattoo artist and say, can you remove this? Once you've made that decision, it's done. From what I understand of Scripture, it's it. They take the mark, you've made your choice. And, the, and, and it says, again, it says that, what did your Bible say? Uh, verse, the middle of verse 10, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. It's not done talking. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. It's not done talking. And they have no rest. There's no relief, day nor night, who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Let me t- probably what's going to happen is people are going to have some, some type of ease, some type of benefit for taking the mark. Oh, man, man, I'm not like those Christians over there. They're suffering. Look at them. They're, they have to scrounge around for stuff because they can't buy anything from the market. We're doing good. Well, watch out for that thing from the sky. We're doing good, you know, you know and that's how they are. But when they take the mark, the Lord says they're going to have discomfort forever and ever. Torment forever. No rest, not a relief, no timeout. Okay, we can stay on timeout, then we'll go back. No. This is astounding. This is astounding right here. The realities of hell in literal language here, in literal terms. I told you before about a guy who was a naval captain. He was going to go out on a mission, or I think it, I think it was part of, it was in the con, in the context of war he was leaving he was departing on his ship and he he can say what go, comes and goes on that ship everything and he's as he's departing he goes to he had a few chaplains he goes to one of his chaplains he says do you believe in hell this is before they departed do you believe in hell to one of the chaplains the one chaplain says he said do you believe in a little hell literal hell and he said no he goes okay you're dismissed we don't need you then and got a chaplain that did believe. It was like, if you don't believe in a literal hell, what, what, what do you, we don't need you. I'm going to have people dying. They're not gonna, there's not a lot of counseling we can do right now. I'm going to have people dying. They're going to go to heaven and hell. That's what I believe. That's kind of what he's saying. I believe the Bible. If you don't believe in a hell, then you're used to just go. You can, you're relieved. Go back to shore and do what you do. No nonsense. And it's kind of like that in the Bible. It's just like if there's a real hell, then boy. Wow. It behooves me to say something about it. So the consequent, then notice there's Christian patience involved in this whole process here. Look what it says. Verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here, right here, are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You know what he's saying? It's saying this is what separates the, the wheat from the tares the sheep from the goats. This is what shows you who really has patience and who's just wanting to have a quick thrill and get by and go along with the world. Here's the patience of the saints. If you take the mark, that you know we know who you are. If you don't, we know who you are. Here's the patience of the saints. Here's the ones who keep in the commandment of God. It's going to be very clear who's a Christian, who's not by this day and age. That's what it's saying there in the Bible. Some people want to trade temporal comfort. No, some people trade temporal comfort. But they get eternal torment for eternal torment. So let's just do this as we close here. Just three takeaways here.
three takeaways real quick here. Um, just because something prospers doesn't mean it's right. Just because something prospers doesn't mean it's right. Um, I was just thinking, actually, Mrs. DeFord, of the, the brother that preached at that conference, he wrote a book about, I don't remember the name of it, but it's basically along the lines of what, what are the psalms that says, where the, the psalmist is like, oh, I watched this wicked guy, man. He prospered. He's happy. He's got a brand new boat. His kids are doing fine. I'm paraphrasing. the. I think it's Psalm 73. I don't know what it is. And it just bugs me, the psalmist is saying. And he wrote a book that kind of commented on how that guy processed watching wicked people prosper. How that psalmist processed watching, how they're looking, he's not even worried about anything. And the psalmist wrestles with that. And uh, you should walk through his logic there. There's one of the psalms. But just because somebody is prospering now or even years on end doesn't mean what they're doing is right. That's how we judge things. Oh, it seems like it's, seems like it's making this. Seems like everybody claps on it. Seems like most of the people voted for it. Must be right, huh? Yeah, that's the final authority of our faith and practice. Yeah. No, the Bible's the final authority in our faith and practice. And then another takeaway, because I'd say that because Babylon will be prospering. People with the mark will prosper to some extent, but that doesn't mean it's right. Number two, just because something has no immediate consequences doesn't mean those consequences won't come. Just because something has no immediate consequences doesn't mean those consequences won't come. People are storing up wrath against the day of wrath in their rejection of Christ. All right, and then last of all, until all of this, until then, we are called to be His angels, His messengers. So we see these angels flying. We're called to be those. You know, God's not, we don't have any, I don't see any promise in the Bible where God says, you know what, I know I told you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, but you know what? Hey, Gabriel, just shoot right across the sky a couple times and just preach the gospel. I don't see anything in the Bible that says that an angel is going to preach the gospel in this dispensation. It's, our, it's us. We have to do it. And we don't have to do it from the sky and have 10,000 people. It's just sometimes just one person, as we talked about this morning in Sunday school. And let me add this. We don't have to have a lot of eloquence. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about the tongue of angels. That probably talks about eloquence and power. We don't have to have a lot of that. We do have to have charity, though, a love for people. That's even greater. And we're his, we're, his, uh, we're his angels right now in that sense of messengers of God's love, messengers with God's love in us. That's what we need to be.